Welcome to part two of this out of line discussion with Jessica Zolman, also known as Jay Zombie. All right. So part two is just asking some actual social media questions because I know you have a little bit of a of a social media history. Um, where does that start? Where does your where does your social media journey start and what does it look like? Uh, that's such a good question. Um, does AOL 2.0 count? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Great. Did you get a CD-ROM yeah. to join it? Yes. I I collected hours free. People didn't realize that when you actually used the free hours, it was free. I also think that my other teenager friends didn't realize that their parents were literally paying for AOL if they didn't do the hour discs. So every time we'd get one in like a newspaper, because we had newspapers delivered to our door. I know. Mind-blowing they would have like an AOL disc in it sometimes. <laughs> I would collect them. We got at least five solid years free. So I would say AOL 2.0. You are so Jewish. Um, I know. God, I know. No shame, though. I literally called LA sanita- Sanitization Day to try and lower our bill. Didn't work. Thought about it, though. Good job. Thanks. Good job. So anyway, I always use those discs because you do have to pay for it. And um, my username was uh, U-R-A-Q-T to me but qt was q and t and the two was a number and then i my mom had qt patootie but the word patootie we loved rosie o'donnell queer as hell so um, <laughs> that was wow anyway i went in chat rooms that was like honestly the first i totally like just random like i'm in high school chat i i definitely went into a sex chat look i'll admit it fine i did it why are you twisting my arm sorry so, you know, you're like young. You're like, I think I was 14. And I was like, what's this about? It was horrible. Um, so definitely AOL 2.0. Uh, after AOL stopped being cool, I guess it was like AIM. So then we only had AIM. Um, definitely MySpace. Like for sure MySpace. So that was probably 2002 or three. I was like just coming out of high school. Thank God. So High school ended and we were all aiming so hard, but still talking on the phone and third party line was the best. And yeah, then MySpace came out. So 2002, 2003, I joined MySpace um, and I definitely all of a sudden just transformed into a hot topic scenester. I don't know how it happened. It was like everyone and everyone else's top eight were like black hair with color. And I was like, well, I'm doing that now. I need to be cool. And that seems to be what's cool. So then that's how tattoos happened. We won't go there. And then um, Facebook. So I got into UC Santa Barbara in 2005. And I think Facebook came out in 2004. I don't know if that that sounds sounds right. right. Um, And it was all like Harvard, Stanford, whatever. And then the next thing that they went to, because California-based social network, was the UC system. So the second I got my email address, oh, by the way, everyone listening who doesn't know this, Facebook started out as a college-only social media platform so the only way to get in was if you had a college campus email address oh my god i'm so old so (laughs) um, i got my email address for ucsb and i was like yes i can sign up for facebook and i did and then i like added my classes because that was another thing you can do and i basically just trolled for cute people in all of my classes sorry i don't being a teenager is hard it's a lot of hormones so that was why i used Facebook, but I still use MySpace. So I was on both. Yeah. Definitely on both. Yeah. So I use both. Like MySpace was for like funny, like quizzes and bulletin boards and like messages and showing how cool you were. And then Facebook was just for classes. So like if I took notes and someone needed them, they could message me and I would charge them $50 for my notes. I took amazing notes. Again, so Jewish. They're all like highlighted. It was dope as hell. I don't know how I failed some of my classes. (laughs) Drugs. Full circle. That's how it was drugs. Okay, so then um, I moved to San Francisco, and in 2006, I believe, Twitter came out, and it was like text-only, web-only, first iPhone. Like, there weren't apps. It was so hard to use. It was the most obnoxious service. And literally, people were just like, I'm at the park. Like, nobody was saying anything that made sense. They were just... They were only speaking to their network. It was so funny. So I joined Twitter because I moved to San Francisco and everyone else was on it. And I 
did not understand what was happening and I hated it. Um, then MySpace died. So I was Facebook. Yeah. So it was Facebook and Twitter only. And I was like, okay, this is my life now. And Facebook like opened up. I remember when my like younger like friends could be on it. And I was like, ew, I don't want to see what they're doing. Why are they here? <laughs> now it's normal. And then my mom joined and she types like a robot. And I'm like, oh my God, you needed AOL. Um, <laughs> it made me t- such a fast typer. Yeah, AIM yes. made me so fast. Cause I was like, I gotta, I gotta keep on top of all my windows. Totally. I don't want anybody waiting. And now I'm the fastest typer ever. Yeah. So, and then I think because the San Francisco tech culture happened, I literally signed up for like a hundred things. So I was on Pounce and I was on Tumblr and I was on uh, Foursquare. I mean, I, those some of those are still things. Sorry, Pounce. But I was on like everything that was a thing that you could be on. It just it was so overwhelming. Um, I still do that. I just am afraid the next thing's going to happen and I miss getting my username now. So that's a cool thing that I fear. Uh, <laughs> and then I was working for a startup that as one does when you need a job and there's nothing creative in the city that you live in um so i was working doing um social media and customer support mostly customer support and instagram launched and i loved photography all my life i've always been interested in photography i could really only afford my iphone and i was sharing photos to Flickr where everyone was like you get off of our platform you horrible apple user these aren't photos you're just taking pictures with your phone i was like oh my god calm down so instagram launched and i was like this is it this is where all my pictures with my phone can go and then a community can happen about it. So I'm posting like the worst photos ever with the filters, with the borders. and But I like loved it. And so I cultivated this community on there in a six month period where like I was, I had my people and we were all like chatting and we had, it just was amazing. It was like positive and wonderful. And the folks at Instagram were like, n- they noticed me. <laughs> they were like, she's She's doing a lot of stuff and she loves this. Um, and I met them at a meetup, an Instameet, and they were like, oh my gosh, and she's not that crazy. So that's great. Like she's normal and could maybe like work for us. So they asked me to interview with them. Wasn't even, what I just didn't even think it was in the realm of possibilities. Um, and I got a job at Instagram. So I became one of Instagram's community managers, um, working alongside my friend Josh and I worked there for almost two years. Wow. So that's how my Instagram following blew up because people just needed help. <laughs> they followed me for it. What years were that? What years were you working with them? Um, Instagram launched in 2010. So six months after their launch, probably 2011, because I think they launched in October. Um, so from 2011 until 2013, I worked there. And I went to Facebook. So I was their fifth employee at Instagram? Yeah, and the first woman that they hired onto the team, there were four four dudes working in a tiny alcove in a in a larger office space that they were renting in San Francisco. Um yeah, and I was the first woman that they brought to the team. And honestly, I felt like my love of whiskey at the time really eased that transition into them diversifying their hires. <laughs> I was like other people will like whiskey other than white boys. You guys know that, right? Um, so yeah, they definitely started hiring less people that look like them, which was great. That is great. Yeah. And yeah, so I worked there. I, I, I worked there when the Facebook acquisition happened. I transitioned to Facebook and I worked at Facebook for nine months before I quit because I hate shuttles and I hate bureaucracy and I don't want to write a review about my performance because it was fine. Leave me alone. And I'm like really loud when I think things are going in a weird direction. I was always that way. I mean, I think that's why I was cut out for startup life. Um, if I didn't really like something that was happening or I felt like it wasn't what was best advocating for the people that were using the platform, the community, I was not, I wouldn't just sit in the meeting and let the conversation, I was like loud about it. Um, not to say that that isn't welcomed at Facebook, but I think not everyone there welcomed it, which was a problem. Mm. I definitely was a little too combative for some 
of the higher ups who unfortunately were higher up than me and directly above me. Oh, jeez. So are are you still tight with the the Instagram like the 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 original four? Um, and is that something that you do you look back on those days as like fond memories that you were the first female hire of Instagram? Ugh, that's a, that's a whole different podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I. I am appreciative of the experience that I had and it definitely like I was talking about before like it taught me how to advocate for myself work life balance does not exist in the startup world and I really had to set up boundaries for my anxiety um I also reviewed all of the flagged photos on Instagram oh my god and and because we were a startup there weren't um free therapy services offered to the startup support employees who were all looking at those images. Um, and in addition to like regular like boobs and stuff, like there's child porn on there and there's self-harm and there's things that involved me calling police officers in Sweden at three in the morning or getting calls from the FBI. Um, it was hard and complicated. And I'm so glad I did the work because the community that I've personally cultivated on Instagram today and my ad agency, Tinker Street, which um, included a lot of mobile photographers at a really key time in advertising, um, they're like my family. Like th those people who are creatives and who also were on Instagram since the beginning, I'm they're invaluable friends to me and collaborators. And I'm so, so happy that the platform was created and existed and I was able to work under really hardworking and um, definitely like very thoughtful leaders like Mike, who's the lead engineer, and like Kevin. They, they made decisions with a lot of thought and care. And I really appreciated that. Um, I'm not so sure that that's what's happening today. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I question maybe the influence that Facebook has had on Instagram a lot as an outsider. Um, but I can only hope that they are still advocating and it's just a battle that's happening that we're not seeing. Um, but yeah, I'm grateful. I, I think my leaving was met with a lot of unhappiness. I don't think I was the first original 13. There were 13 of us that went to Facebook. I don't think I was the first that left. Um, but I, I was one of the, I mean, I was one of the first founding members that left for sure. And so I think, I think that upset some people, which is fine. Um, but also people didn't know that it wasn't my choice to leave. So that's a whole other thing. It wasn't your choice? No. Um, I definitely was put in a position where I had to choose between keeping my stock or not. Mm. It was very complicated. It, it sounds complicated. It was strange. And it, and it was from a hire who was brought in internally on Facebook's end to help us who made those decisions. And so I kind of felt like I was like dealing with a stranger who decided I wasn't good enough. It, mm. it A lot of complicated feelings around that whole situation. So I, I think because people didn't realize the real reason about why I was leaving, that they just felt like I was bailing, mm. which is totally fair. And I don't blame them for that. Yeah. But I definitely did not want to leave. Okay. Wow. <laughs> that um did you have to sign like a like a, an NDA or maybe. Oh. <laughs> Good. Um I you know I don't know if I did it probably was more about like don't give away our secrets and yeah. less about like don't tell people that we tried to put you on a project plan that would have made you should you fail lose literally all of your stock and your bonus money have to be paid back. Like I don't know that that was specifically in the NDA that I signed. And most of the things that were secrets that they were working on are very out in the wild because it was four years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they put me in a position where I was basically like, do this project plan. And I was like, okay, if you think my work here is not up to par, sure. But I'm looking at this timeline and if you fire me, I lose everything. But you're also telling me if I walk away right now and put in four more weeks, for this big launch that we had, which was video, um, that I'll get to keep a little bit. And I'd rather keep a little bit because that's crazy that you're basically creating this situation where if I fail, I literally owe you money. That's so stressful. Yeah. Wow. So I picked the, for me, what I felt was the right decision for like 
I mean, I was with Anthony at the time for my family. I was like, this this is my future in a way. I'm investing in my future. I mean, I'm really investing in an evil corporation, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I made that choice. So um, I still love Instagram. I still use Instagram. Instagram is my biggest source of income. I do not blame anyone else on the team or my original coworkers. It was one person who's no longer even a part of that team um, who kind of just made this choice hmm. for me. And to be fair, like, I hated doing peer reviews and I complained a lot about taking the shuttle to work. Like, I was not a happy camper down there, but I don't think an opportunity was given to me to be happy. And that, that's where I'm like, oh, really? The choice was like, you seem unhappy. We're going to put you on a project plan. Mm. That's not good management. Probably not. Yeah. I wouldn't say so. Yeah. So you've been in the social media realm since like the very, very beginning. Definitely. Like that is That is the OG days without even trying to make it out to be more than it was. Yeah. So looking at social media and looking at where it's come from, where it's going, knowing the inside, like kind of seeing the wizard behind the curtain. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're still on it, so you have to think something good about it, but do you have kind of a take or a stance or even just like an observation on how social media influences society in general that you <laughs> can share in under like 37 hours <laughs> yeah in under 37 hours. i mean here's the thing i think all social media started out as this like utopia free speech let's let everyone do what they want and then it has slowly devolved into something else something that's being used as a tool just as like i mean i think this is the thing that i always talk about twitter loves to talk about arab spring happening on their platform they love to be like, we created this underground movement that resulted in freedom. And yet they won't talk about how at the same time an underground movement of hatred could exist. They basically are like, we're not even going to think about it. And I, I don't think that's just Twitter specific. I think both Facebook and Instagram are also guilty of that, especially as they give more tools for communication. Um, I genuinely think that a lot of these platforms aren't thinking through the truly evil uses. There's teams that think about that. Yes, absolutely. They hire incredible people who work way too hard and are barely listened to. And that sucks. And there are people who are on Twitter's policy team. There's an article going around right now who are like, they didn't do enough because they only cared about monthly active users. And every time we brought up an issue, the growth team told us we're not fixing that problem. And that's horrible. And it's a shame that they can't say we created a revolution by being a means of communication and now we acknowledge that at the same time we can create literally the all right you know it's just it's such a of course you don't want to admit it but you have to mm. well even right now with how many people are saying that that there were like russian ads <laughs> all over facebook during during the like they were getting me. paid in ruples <laughs> For American political ads. That's like, hello, you guys, really? You just pretended like you didn't see it? I find that extremely hard to believe. I mean, I, I own Facebook stock. Like, this is coming from a person who is invested in the company and on a daily basis as these trials are going on, my stock's going up. It's so gross. I feel so gross. At the same time, like, I just want to own a house one day, but I feel so gross. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I... I I invested years of my life into a thing that I believed in, and that was my reward. And now I'm watching how that company is being used for evil. And mm. it's heartbreaking. And I I have conversations with my other friends who are ex-Facebookers daily about how weird it is to watch our investment. Our, like We put years of our life. It's not like I just took my money and threw it in there. Like I was rewarded for my time with something that's now being used for evil that is like financially benefiting from that mm. oh god the stock market is a true showcase of how capitalism is disgusting but <laughs> it, um yeah i i i hate it i hate watching these companies who really were just all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed now not taking ownership that is so disheartening for someone who has spent years of my life like tweeting and Facebooking and Instagramming. And I look at like the your memory section on Facebook and I'm like, I'm so glad I have these. And 
I think, God forbid, if anything happened to my husband, I would be so glad that I have that archive of like his thoughts and his photos and his feelings. You know, I, there's so many good positive benefits to these services and connecting the world. And I feel like I understand so many more cultures and communities, but them not owning up to the destruction that they are capable of creating, that people on their platform are capable of creating. It's like such a no-brainer. I just, I don't understand it. Man, there there's a lot of responsibility there. And, and it is kind of a question of what responsibility do we have as users as people who are on the platforms all day, every day and making money off of them. Yeah. Because even like you our said, eyeballs are dollars. Exactly. Every time we view an ad, they get money. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I think about leaving Twitter all the time. <laughs> oh, really? All the time. It's it's weird to think about like what responsibility do we have? Because like you said, it's a double-edged sword. There is so much good to it. I mean, I have family in Australia and I talk to them every day because of social media and we get to be in each other's lives in a way that we wouldn't, it wouldn't feel as connected without it. And so if I all of a sudden just decided to unplug, I would grieve. It would, it would totally suck. And I would be really, really bummed in a lot of ways. Um, but then there's the, also the part of me that's like, Oh, did I just like inadvertently, get someone elected that I probably didn't want elected because Russia paid for ads on Facebook. Well, and I think that's a thing like <laughs> you and I didn't get 45, I refuse to say his name, elected. Yeah, I call him the orange one. It's fine. It's a good call. Um, it's it's on those services. I mean, genuinely, the, the way that advertisers utilize them and bots became prevalent it literally brainwashed the swing vote a hundred percent. I mean, like I have family members who are fell for it, who like, oh, it's yeah, it's bad. It's bad. And I and I don't I also don't blame them. Right. Because we don't get a newspaper to our front door anymore. So it is hard when everything is online. And how do you vet all of that? And how do you tell the difference between an opinion and a genuine journalist's carefully crafted ethical piece it it, the lines all become blurred um i think it's easy to feel like there's responsibility by being on it and just being a part of it but like we're saying there is so much good in being so connected to other people i think i've learned so much more about just how to not be a racist white person to be perfectly candid i think there's so many microaggressions that i learned growing up in a rich white town that i just never ever thought about that honestly i probably would continue to not think about if it weren't for platforms like twitter where i can follow black lives matter los angeles and i can follow deray and i can make sure that my eyeballs are reading things that check me as a person who genuinely is empathetic and cares about other people and i don't want to be that way and i think a lot of my life experience, unfortunately, just it that's just high. Like I was a white person who was totally racist. Like that's it's fine to admit that. And I think it's so much better to say that that's who I was, unfortunately, and then acknowledge that tools like Twitter helped me unlearn those biases. And, and that's huge. I mean, how can you sit there and be like, I'm not going to use this platform anymore because, of bots and ads when that's not on me. I don't have control over that. I don't have access to the code. But what I do have access to is other voices from other individuals who are unlike me, who help me be a better person. And like, I don't feel like that's worth giving up. I do feel like Twitter needs to step the hell up so I can keep having access to that. And so other people can keep having access to that. That's how revolutions happen. That's how equality will happen. That's how Latino women will stop getting paid the least amount in comparison to white males. You know, I think having access to those data sets and that and that's it, it just is going to benefit everyone. But if they don't get their shit together on the back end, all that stuff's going to be gone. Like literally our tools are going to be taken away. It's mm. going to turn into I don't ugh, I don't even want to think about it. I mean, really, like there's literally trials happening right now. 
so insane. In in the government, right? It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like social media started out as this sort of playful, you know, Harvard dropout land of startup weirdos. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, it it probably, you know, is involved in politics and government and it is actually making the world the way that it is right now. And it is not child's play anymore. I think it's so interesting that the majority of these technology companies are founded by white men because I think they're the least likely to think through the ethical implications of creating these platforms. And because they don't hire people from outside of their own communities, which just in general is of privilege, um, they're not being questioned. Nobody's saying like, but what if someone used it like this? And if they are saying that, they're probably thinking, well, if someone used it like that, well, we'll, we'll figure that out when we get there. Okay, that's not the question. You know, you look at AI and it's like, oh, we'll figure it out when the singularity happens. You literally will be dead. Like, you won't figure it out. So we're really just doing this? Okay. Whereas, like, Hillary, platform, Hillary Clinton wanted to run her platform talking about AI and she was discouraged from doing it because they didn't want her to sound insane. But she wanted to, like, heavily regulate AI. And now we're just marching down that path. And I'm like, oh, my God. white men, what are you doing? Stop making this stuff. <laughs> like, come on. It's just such an interesting, like, it's all interconnected of, like, nobody's questioning you. You're not hiring people outside of your communities. When someone does question you, you tell them that's not your problem. Like, what? Mm. Silicon Valley, get it together. Yeah, the, the bubble's real. And I'm not talking like financial bubble. Like literally they are just trapped in a like echo chamber of their own yeah. feedback. Yeah. Do you think social media is going anywhere? Unless the government does something. Like it's that's honestly the only thing I can think of. If the government's like shut Twitter down, which is not outside of the realm of possibilities. I mean, I guess 45 does like really love Twitter. So maybe that one's safe. But what about freedom of speech, though? How would that? How could Twitter get taken away by the government? It's a I don't private understand. company. I think because I, that's been their excuse the whole time. Twitter is mm -hmm. like people could say whatever they want. Someone, I mean, I was getting like, I've gotten rape threats on Twitter. I just I have like seventy five thousand followers, and like there's weirdos and there's whatever, and they don't care. Like they don't do anything about. It. I mean, someone cares, but at large, the, the company does not care that there is a user who is threatening to rape women because that is another monthly active user, <laughs> like truly. And so I think that they've used free speech as their excuse for not regulating the abuse and not regulating bots and not regulating the, this like now political spam. So I can't, I, I understand, but I feel like at the same time, things like Instagram, who are deleting accounts for nudity over and over and over and over again, even if it's artistic, it doesn't matter. I see boobs, you're gone, um, are like, they say we're a private platform. We can do whatever we want, you know? So I, like I hear the both of the things, but in the end, they're all private. They're all private companies that are privately making money that are or publicly traded on the stock market. They can be shut down just like. Goldman Sachs could be shut down, right? Like anything could be shut down. Mm -hmm. If the government or the FTC or what, if someone decides, nope, I mean, that's it. It's shout from the rooftop. There's your free speech, right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, it's so fascinating to think of that, of that happening. I mean, I would be shocked and yet the world shocks me all the time. So well, especially like the, the slow push to authoritarianism that we are seeing is what worries me. I, I feel like it's a little conspiracy theory to be like, the government's going to shut down Twitter. But like, the, I don't, what? Ooh. Yeah. Watching the trials yesterday, it's like, that's not that far off. Like, that could happen if they don't, if they aren't more regulated and even being more regulated is a little, it becomes interesting. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of kind of regulated and, and self-regulating, are there things that you will or won't talk about online or post online? I mean, you're here talking about drugs. So yeah. um, I would I would guess that your answer is going to be a little different to some. Um, yeah. I mean, I think here's an interesting thing. Like to my friends and to a lot of people and, and like in some interviews, I talk about how I'm queer. I have – I originally as a teenager considered myself bisexual. I came out when I was 12 to friends. 
Um, I didn't come out to my mom until this year. Um, and I talk openly about it and I talk about it in interviews, but I don't, it's not my identity on like Instagram or Twitter. I don't, I work with LGBT projects um, and I will retweet and I follow, I mean, I follow people that are in my community. I like elevating other people's voices. I don't generally like tweet being like, I'm a queer woman. And, and it's interesting. It's something I've gone to therapy a lot about is my identity, especially since getting married to a man. It was something I really struggled with um, is like, am I less queer? Where is my queerness? And like, how do I now I look heteronormative and like, what does that mean? Um, I think something for me again this year, it's all about like talking about it and and feeling empowered so that way other people don't feel afraid. Um, but talking about being a queer woman in a heteronormative and monogamous relationship is like really difficult. And I'm not the only one of my friends that's in that dynamic that identifies as a queer woman and has for the majority of their life. Um, but I'm still struggling with like coming, I don't want to say coming out publicly because I talk about it, but with publicly declaring it. I think I don't want to make it about me. I think there's so many people that struggle and I'm the last person that struggles because of how I look and how my relationship looks. But at the same time, I'm afforded so much privilege because of how my relationship looks and because of how I look. And so it's something I struggle with. Like, how do I be more involved in the community aside from pushing for LGBT projects with brands and encouraging them to be more visible about, especially shooting with trans models. There's so many beautiful men and women in Los Angeles who I love to shoot with. Um, and I try and push for that. And, you know, I think I do what I can without being in the limelight um but it's it's a it's hard for me because i don't know like i don't talk about it but at the same time i want to anyway okay. i think that's my big yeah that's my big one though yeah um yeah i didn't even know that about you so that's amazing thanks for thanks for sharing that yeah. um what would you want people to know about it or maybe a better question is what has your experience of being queer been and how does it how has it been to, as you say, marry a man when that is how you how you are? Yeah, I mean, I've throughout, I would say college, not high school, but in college, I dated men and women. And um, San Francisco is like, whew, it's too extreme. It's extreme. It's rough. I mean, the Lexington Club, I hit it up a couple of times, but it's <laughs> it's a little rough up there. I, I always appreciated Pride Month. They do a thing called the Dyke March, and it's. It was like the one time when I got to see like, oh, there are like gay women in San Francisco. This isn't just a gay men's playground, but it's like really male heavy up there. Like if you're a gay man, you have the world. But as a for me, a queer woman, I felt weird. I think I also always just felt weird in those spaces because I'm not a lesbian. I like I'm somewhere on the Kinsey scale at all different times, right? Like it is a it is a floating thing. And I never fully identified with straight people, my straight friends, or with my very, very, very gay friends. I always was like, I don't know where I stand. Um, I remember when o Obama gave a speech, it was that he addressed the State of the Union and he mentioned the word bisexual. And I was sitting on the couch watching it with my husband and like burst into tears. Like, I didn't even expect that reaction. I'm just kind of so used to not being a part of the conversation. Um, people talk about bi erasure all the time, and I didn't really understand what that was until, like, really recently. And, like, that is the experience I've had my whole life is either people telling me it's a phase or when I would date lesbians, them telling me that I wasn't gay enough for them. Just a lot of, it was very strange. Um, I've also, my husband's the first person who, when I met him and came out to him as a prospective partner, he didn't either ask me for a threesome or worry that I would cheat on him because everyone was open to me. And it, two things that literally everyone I ever dated before had brought up when I came out, either one or the other. Um, and he didn't do either of those things. He just was like, that's awesome. I was like, what? <laughs> it's just silent waiting for 
one of the dumb questions. And that's when I knew that he probably was the person that I was going to spend the rest of my life with. Um, but the same goes for, for women. I, the, the biggest fear, mostly for women, not threesomes, they did not ask for that, was you're going to leave me because you, you, you'll find some guy that's better or you're not really gay. And it just was like, oh, my God, I don't know how to, like, justify my sexuality to you. Um, so it's been a struggle. And I think now being married to him and being on social media and not being so publicly out is also again like it's about struggling with my identity and who I am and what that means and where I fit in and I think internal by erasure is like really real mm. <laughs> you know like mm. I internalize that and I think that my queerness isn't enough and so I shouldn't be involved in that mm. conversation so again, I, I'm appreciative of Twitter because I do get to elevate voices of people in the community who are advocates and who are doing great work and who are helping push forward legislation and are making sure visibility exists. Um, and that that makes me feel good. Like that makes me be involved and and feel feel a part of the community in a way. Do you think that you owe anything to social media when it comes to your identity? I probably would not be even having this conversation if it weren't for social media, to be totally honest. I think, yeah, I, I pushed it down and hit it a lot. And again, particularly in San Francisco, it was a really hard city to date women. And my friends were open and accepting, but I just never really came out to all of them. And now that's not an issue. Um, and I do have so many, again, so many queer friends who are women who are dating men who I can have this conversation with. I mean, I, I have three, which is like a whole universe to me, <laughs> considering I went from none. Um, so it's, it's, and I, and I know some of those women from social media, like that is the reason why I'm connected with them. And we're friends in real life and in Los Angeles, but yeah, if it weren't for Instagram or for Twitter, I wouldn't know them. I really love how social media is a way that I can find people that I can relate to that have weird um, or totally normal things that we have in common um, and get to genuinely connect with people. Like some of the people that I'm super, super close with are people I met online. And it isn't just a throwaway platform of fakeness. You know, it is a really true space that can absolutely become your real life yeah um, and so I really love that you shared that yeah yeah that's amazing thank you yeah. I just got to know so much new stuff about you it's really <laughs> it's awesome bonding time I know podcast I know. bonding <laughs> I know we'll just I have to think about how soon I can have you back and what we can talk about next because there's like 42 <laughs> things to talk about it's true um so a couple last questions one is so We've been talking about so many different things, and I mean, literally, this could become a four-hour episode, and I would <laughs> not be mad about it. Um, but one of the things that I'm curious about is um, is how you create now, because you are a photographer, and you're freelance, and you do work for brands, and you do get to create incredible content kind of all around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that we've talked a little bit about how I work with cat footwear and how they're all about being super, super bold when it comes to creativity. Um, and so I'd love to hear a little bit about your creative journey when it comes to being a photographer and what, what you take on in terms of responsibility when it comes to being an advocate and also just like what brands you like to work with and why Anything you want to share about that? I know that was kind of a long question, but I got it. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about creativity and boldness when it comes to photography. So to narrow it down to client work, because I, I think that's a they're all interconnected, but I think I can specifically answer all of those points. Um, when it comes to client work, my biggest process, the first thing I question I ask is how can I make this colorful? <laughs> so that's like step one is whatever brand it is, where can I go for color? How do I make sure it's vibrant and there's this element? And sometimes I don't have that answer until I get there. So um, when I do work with um, Warner Brothers for their upcoming releases, like I went to Mexico City for the film Annabelle and we went to Isla de las Munecas, the island of the dolls, um, in the canals. <laughs> 
And we went at night and it was in honor of Annabelle, the, uh, the creation story from oh, horror movies are my favorite. It was the best experience in the world. But, you know, it's dark. We're on an island filled with dolls and also clearly spiders because dolls and an island, it's spiders. And I was like, what do I do? Like, how do I add color to it? So I ended up buying one of those um, knockoff ice lights. Sorry, ice light. So I ended up buying like a big light stick that um, changed RGB colors. So I could light things up in this super dark, creepy, like middle of the night shoot um, where we had to create a video of our experience and share a photo. So everything that I did was, even though it was pitch black, had an element of color to it. Um, so those are usually like, if, if there's a challenge, I have to figure out how to add my vision, which is usually bright light because Los Angeles. But in that case, I was like, okay, color. Like, that's the theme. So that's almost always my theme. Um, same with Audi is one of my favorite clients that I've worked with. They keep coming back to me this year. And it's like, I'm so honored. I love them. They're so easy to work with and just get my vision. Um, and every time I work with them, my first thought is how do I incorporate color or a new experience or um, yeah, what do I do to bring this to my world, you know, which is beautiful, light, bright colors. Um, it's not that complicated, but it is, it is, it's hard. <laughs> and um, let's see, I think the thing that's really hard for me is I don't feel like my perspective is that unique. I think imposter syndrome as an artist is very real. Um, and so I'm kind of constantly questioning, like, is what I'm doing interesting? And I do think that doing that pushes me. Um, I hire more people now. I think that's a big thing. I have a great team. My good friend Alexa is my photo assistant on almost every shoot this last year. Um, being at a point where I am getting paid more for my work allows me to bring other artists, especially young women into the fold into what I'm doing and even if they don't want to be doing commercial work I'm at least funding the kind of work that she wants to be doing um which I like believe in and love and appreciate um so that's been a really incredible experience this last year is having her assist me on shoots um but yeah I'm always pushing myself so having an assistant allows me to get more done and to make bigger and better things um and yeah I you know commercial work's hard like Working for yourself is hard. Being alone when you're like, I literally was a community manager, like surrounded by humans is hard. Um, and so I also just make a point to spend time with my friends in Los Angeles and um, photograph when I don't feel like photographing. Um, and the Cameras and Dancers series that I've been doing for the last two, I think it's been two years, um, has been a huge element of that. It's like, there's some mornings I wake up and I'm like, I cannot do this. Um, there's only been one morning where I woke up and I actually didn't do it. It was the morning after Charlottesville. I was like, no, nope, this Jew's taking a beat. Uh, <laughs> I'm not coming to your photo shoot today. But the Cameras and Dancers series, like literally when I don't want to be shooting, there it's like there's one coming up. Mm. Um, and so it pushes me creatively not only to collaborate with other photographers in Los Angeles, um, but to collaborate with dancers and of all different backgrounds, yoga and ballet and um, and acrobatics. It's, it's such an interesting, fascinating way. Um, and movement is a huge part of my lifestyle work. So having that ongoing project with my friend Jacob Jonas has been so helpful to my creativity and keeping my brain fresh because there are some times where I don't work for three months and I would love to sit on the couch and play Zelda like literally the whole time but I shouldn't I should get out and photograph so I do and that's how I met you the the cameras and dancers at the Getty that's yeah. how we met so I mean there's lots of good reasons why that's a great series but Jacob's amazing um and yeah collaborating I mean even when I don't feel like it, even when I'm not getting paid, even when I'm overwhelmed and my inbox is imploding. Totally. The best, best thing I can do is just get out there and make something, even if it sucks. Just yeah. pushing and being like, no, no, I'm going to be in a space with other creatives. I'm going to meet someone new that's going to be on my podcast that doesn't even exist yet. That happened. Yeah. Oh. It happened. How exciting. I know. It's great. <laughs> Um, so we've talked about a lot that has to do with some self-care stuff, but mm. 
Do you have a self-care routine or what do you do when it comes to, you know, it's your day off and you just need to do some self-love? What does that look like? So there's two things. One is honestly playing video games. If I'm in a game that like has hours of gameplay, I'm in heaven. So I I did play 290 hours of Zelda. I'm not <laughs> sorry about it. I have all the Korok seeds. What up? I love video games. Um, currently playing Mario Odyssey. I cannot wait to find all 800 moons. Um, that is like such a, if I'm like, can we just take an hour and do this? Also, Mario Odyssey has been amazing for my relationship because we play two player mode. So it's like, we're literally learning how I have to use words. I have to actually communicate with my husband. It's great. Um, oh, and then, and then such a small thing, and I'm not even going to like say that it's silly or stupid because my therapist would be super mad at me about it. It's not silly or stupid. I get my nails done um, and I'm spending an hour and a half where I can't look at my phone because my hands are in someone else's hands. And it's so nice. That hour and a half is generally so peaceful, depending on who's in there with me. And um, it's just such a small thing. And, and it is... An investment but it is such a small investment of self-care where when I can't afford it or even if I can't my husband pushes me he's like please take my money which is great our money it's our money um but getting my nails done is a big thing when it's winter baths absolutely I again it's like how can I remove my phone mm. how can I put on I mean sometimes I put on a movie on my laptop but how can I disconnect? What can I do to stop refreshing Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and stop watching Instagram stories and responding to everyone's story all the time? Although it did result in this. It did. It did. To be fair. Yeah, but I I easily get sucked in. And if I am not getting new content, I'll just watch stories all day. I mean, it's insane the way that they've captured me. Good for them. But um, yeah, I, I, self-care was a huge thing that I had to work on with my therapist this last year. Like, what, how do you bring yourself down from like an emotional level 10? And like, what are the ways for you to, when you are feeling emotionally overwhelmed, treat yourself to something, you know, like it doesn't have to be buying a thing. It can, it can be again, like even getting my weed card and like actually taking CBD. It's like, I kind of had to come to terms with that being a positive thing for me. Mm. And like, not that I felt weird about it. I just was like, I've just made up weird excuses to avoid helping myself, which is such an interesting thing. Makes total sense to me. Yeah. So I, you know, treating myself can, can really just, it can be as easy as just going to go get like a $12 pedicure. Like, honestly, if that's all I can afford, it'll make me feel better. Do you make yourself do it? every certain number of days or weeks or do you just do it when you when you gotta i just do it when i gotta i mean it's really easy to get addicted to gel nails so i'm giving it a break right now <laughs> but yeah i think when i am feeling super overwhelmed and it's funny they, they are pretty directly t tied with my career if i'm not getting work and i start questioning my value and what i'm worth and then I'm struggling financially and my husband's picking up slack. I, it, it all, it's all connected and learning how to acknowledge those points mm. and say, it's okay that I'm not getting work. Let me focus on myself or let me focus on my business. Let's do something with your time or Zelda. Um, <laughs> then like good things will happen. It'll pick up again. It's okay. Like ebbs and flows are normal in this industry. Um, but I think it's so easy, even though ebbs and flows are normal in the industry, to blame yourself and to say it's my work, it's me, or um, my followers are, are dropping off and my likes don't exist anymore. It's not the algorithm. It's my work. I'm crap, right? It's the algorithm, by the way. It's definitely the it's algorithm. So it's is. super the algorithm. So, <laughs> but I think... And then again, like having a community, surrounding myself with people who I can talk to about that. Like, I know that that's, I mean, that, that is self-care. Having my people who I can call if I need to, like actually be on the phone and be like, oh my gosh, talk to me about this. Mm -hmm. um, and having men in my life who are allies when the news gets nuts with a lot of this sexual assault, right? Like all of these things, like I think having my people is also self-care for me. So important. Really, really, really love that. <sighs> okay, last question. We're going there. 
um, we've talked about a lot of different people today. Yeah. All of all kinds, all over the world, all types. What is something that you believe that you have in common with with everyone, with all of them? Um, I think I think most people doubt themselves. I think even like the most confident, like self-help guru like i don't know i'm trying to think of like someone who just seems like they've got it all together like they don't tony robbins yeah tony robbins like does not have it all i'll guarantee you he does not have it all together and i think for me it's it's so helpful to have those people who are like positive and will advocate for you and are like go 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 you can do it but also i want to like rip their faces off sometimes so i think being vulnerable and admitting to needing help and and asking for help i think everyone everyone has doubts everyone has weaknesses everyone struggles like nobody has it all together at all times and i think reminding myself of that that i share that in common with literally everyone in the world it helps it makes hard days a little easier that's a good one i like that i don't think anyone said that one yet and i love it nailed it nailed it and (laughs) not just because of your pedicure nope i don't have one right now it's so bad don't look (laughs) <laughs> thank you so much for this chat You're so it's welcome. been the best and Aww. i mean it when i say we, i have to figure out a way to get you back on real quick without it making look like making it look like i'm just hitting repeat on the same people but clearly we could have gone down 52,000 streets with all the topics that came up that's that's me that's chatting with me i love it <laughs> well thanks so much for being so honest and, and vulnerable and talking about stuff that not many other people were open to. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me and letting me say words into a microphone in your home. (laughs) We'll see you at the next uh, Cameras and Dancers. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You've been listening to Out of Line with Caroline Lee. Tweet me at Team Woodnote or tag me in your posts on Instagram using Out of Line Podcast and let me know what you thought of today's discussion and who you'd like to hear as a guest on Out of Line next. This episode of Out of Line was produced by me, Caroline. All sound editing, engineering, and original music composition by Jaden Lee. And a big thank you to Cat Footwear for working with Out of Line this season. Hit subscribe to get the next episode on your mobile device when it drops next week. And if you love what you heard, please whip out a review, will ya?